Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. In our last teaching, we found Paul in Corinth, where Silas and Timothy finally joined him. He also met a very special couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who had recently come from Rome. Both Paul and Aquila were tent makers by trade, and so it was natural for them to become partners in, in both the work and the ministry. During his time in Corinth, Paul stayed with Aquila and Priscilla, which was advantageous for both parties. For Paul, it helped to set him free to continue his teaching and preaching ministry in the city. And this was ministry resulted in thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ. For Aquila and Priscilla, well, you can just imagine the conversations that took place at the dinner table, as well as hosting the house church ministry and learning from the great apostle himself. After remaining in Corinth for a year and a half, Paul decided that it was time for him to go back to Antioch, the Sending Church, to report on all that God had been doing throughout his second missionary trip. This is where we pick up the account. Let us read now from our Bibles. I'll be reading verses 18 through 23 in chapter 18. So Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer, time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. As we read, Priscilla and Aquila traveled with Paul until they reached Ephesus, at which time Paul continued on alone, first to Jerusalem and then north to Antioch. I see three significant things in these few verses that I'd like to bring to our attention. The first is the issue of the vow that Paul had taken in Centria. Now this city was a seaport of Corinth, and we know that it had a Christian congregation there, as it is mentioned in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. But now we read in verse 18 that Paul had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. Now this was something that has caused great debate among Bible scholars down through the years. 
This vow that Paul took was known as a Nazarite vow, and it's described in Numbers chapter 16. Let me read just a few of those verses to help us understand the dynamics that were at play here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. And he shall not make himself unclean even for his father or mother, for his brother or his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord. In my studies, I came across three possible reasons for this vow that Paul had taken. Either he had taken the vow before his conversion, and he was waiting for the time of that vow to be completed, which occurred in Centria, or he took a temporary Nazarite vow, which again would end with the shaving of his head, but then it would simply could have been a personal vow of thanksgiving, offered in light of God's providential protection while he had been in Corinth. We really don't know the exact reason behind it, but what we do know is that in order to complete the vow, he had to go to Jerusalem to present his offering to the Lord. One reason why this action has been so controversial is that on the surface it appears that Paul had fallen into old practices, thus departing from the gospel of salvation by God's grace. However, that is not the situation at all. If you were to read the book of Galatians, you would quickly discover how passionately Paul taught on the doctrine of grace. For example, we read in Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I might make myself a transgressor. And through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I might have been crucified with Christ 
I have been, excuse me, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And then we read in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Therefore, we can be confident that God is not performing this vow in order to secure his salvation, but rather as an act of worship and devotion to the Savior who had been with him throughout the past years of joys and persecutions. From Centria, Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla traveled on to Ephesus. Once again, Paul went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. In other words, he explained to them through the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. And this time they, they seemed to be very receptive to this message. However, Paul was in a hurry to continue with his travels as he wanted to get back to Jerusalem in time for the feast, which would be the Passover. This would provide him with a rich opportunity to teach and preach about Jesus to those who would travel to Jerusalem as required by law. And there, he could also bring his offering to the Lord as the final act regarding the vow that he had taken. So, he left Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus to continue to work, to teach, and to strengthen the faith of those new believers. Having worked and lived alongside of Paul for the past year and a half, these two were more than capable of handling this pastoral responsibility. So Paul left them in good hands and gave them a promise to visit them again if the Lord allows. One more thing. In, in this passage that we read, um, it, it is Paul made his way back to Jerusalem and Antioch, and he took time to spend with the other churches as he traveled that he established in Galatia and Phrygia. Why did he do this? The Bible says that his only purpose was to strengthen the disciples, what we would call today as edification. 
Paul made it a practice to continually check upon those he had led to Christ. And he was never too busy to reach out to those people whom he loved dearly. I like the observation one commentator makes regarding this. He writes, Paul seemed to view everyone as either a lost soul in need of being evangelized or a Christian in need of being edified and encouraged. His perspective was, I am here to serve others. His every encounter with another individual was a chance to do so in one way or the other. Imagine if your church members made it their daily goal to do this. Because life is often so discouraging, we need others who will come alongside us and help make us stronger and provide the motivation we need to press on. Be someone who builds others up through acts of kindness, by passing on lessons learned, by admitting failures, by being real. Well, while Paul is busy traveling back to Jerusalem, something very special and significant is happening in Ephesus. So let's read about that now. Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and talked accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to, the, to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. <clears throat> Apollos is a very interesting person. We know that he was born in the city of Alexandria. Now this city was one of the key cities at that time and it had a very large Jewish population. It was known to be the city where the great scholar Philo was known to reside. Philo was who was a contemporary with Jesus, taught a strange philosophy where he combined Greek philosophy with Judaism. However, Apollos was not drawn into that philosophy, as he apparently was a student of the Old Testament scriptures, along with being a disciple of John the Baptist. We know this because verse 25 says that he knew only the baptism of John. He had not yet been exposed to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah and Savior of the world. Verse 24 tells us that Apollos had been living in Ephesus at the same time with Aquila and Priscilla and had come with Paul to that city. He was known as an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. 
When Aquila and Priscilla first heard him, he was teaching in the synagogue. And his teaching was excellent as far as it went. But it was an incomplete message. Dr. Warren Wearsby explains, The ministry of John the Baptist was an important part of God's redemptive plan. God sent John to prepare the nation of Israel for their Messiah. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Those who were baptized looked forward to the coming Messiah. John also announced a future baptism of the Holy Spirit, which took place on the day of Pentecost. Apollos knew about the promises, but he did not know about their fulfillment. Apollos spoke with great fervor, meaning he spoke with fire. He was passionate and bold in the testimony of his faith. However, his message was limited and incomplete and therefore was ineffective in being able to bring a life-transforming message to his hearers. As one commentator writes, his message got as far as John the Baptist and then stopped. He knew nothing about Calvary, the resurrection of Christ, or the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He had zeal, but he lacked spiritual knowledge. In all likelihood, Apollos' preaching was a more polished version of John's message, which was, turn from your sins and turn to God. And you'd find that in Matthew 3, 2. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him speak, they knew that they were able to help him. So they met him, they met with him privately, and began to teach him about Jesus and the fullness of the gospel message. The fact that Apollos was willing to be taught by this godly couple tells us much about the humility of Apollos and what made him a great man. God used Priscilla and Aquila, fresh from their months of traveling with and learning from Paul, to give Apollos the complete gospel. Because Apollos did not hesitate to be a student, he became an even better teacher. I guess we can pause to ask ourselves the question, how much does your willingness or my willingness to learn affect God's efforts to help you become all that God wants you to be? Being teachable is something that is very important for a servant of God as long as that teaching is consistent with the Word of God. I think we can also learn from the example of Priscilla and Aquila. They had been students and co-laborers with the great Apostle Paul. They too exhibited a humble spirit in coming alongside of Apollos to quietly teach him instead of lording their higher learning over him. They could have been intimidated by his eloquence of speech, but they were not. Instead, they helped him to become an even more effective teacher of the Bible and preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, 
There are some Bible scholars who feel that Apollos was a more eloquent and effective apologist than the Apostle Paul. Well, continuing with our passage in Acts, we read that once Apollos had been thoroughly taught, he decided to travel to Achaia, which would include Corinth, and the church in Ephesus sent him on his way with a letter of introduction recommending him to the church there. And while there, Apollos was very effective in debating with the Jews out of the Old Testament scriptures about Jesus, proving that he is the Christ. There is an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 4 that makes mention of Apollos. In this portion of the letter, Paul is addressing certain divisions and prejudices that were happening in the church. So he sets himself and Apollos as an example of humility in service, as examples to follow. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another against the other. Well, one last thing. We learn from other passages in the Bible that Apollos had a very great effective ministry from that point forward. However, his success in ministry also had a disturbing result in Corinth. In his opening remarks in his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul wrote this, beginning with verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say I had baptized in my own name. Hmm. 
How sad that was. It must have broken Paul's heart to see divisions happening as a result of ministry responsibilities fulfilled. The Life Application Bible Commentary makes this significant point. As often happens, Apollos' abilities eventually created a problem. Some of the Corinthians became more enamored with Apollos than with his message. An Apollos fan club developed. There's no evidence to suggest that Apollos encouraged this behavior, and Paul never blamed Apollos for this development. Still, Paul eventually had to confront the Corinthians about their divisiveness. Be glad for God's gifts, but always remember that they are given to bring honor to Him. He is the point. His glory is the issue. Any ability or talent that calls undue attention to itself is sinful. Appreciate the gift, but more than that, praise the giver of the gifts. I agree with that statement and admonition. Remember, we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who died for us and has been raised for our justification. He is the one who has ascended to heaven. To Him has been given all power and authority. Our message and our motivation is always and only Jesus. And as Jesus said to his disciples that last night when he promised to send to them the Holy Spirit, he, he made this promise, John chapter 16, verse 13. However, then this is Jesus speaking. He says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And what he has declared to you, share it with others. It is a message of life and hope and love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your these your servants, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, for Aquila and Priscilla, for Apollos, who all were so faithful to you and dedicated their lives to telling others about Jesus, about his life, his death, his resurrection, about the fact that Jesus died for sins, for our sins, that there is forgiveness in, that can be found in Christ alone. There is hope and healing and a future because of your grace. Lord, we appreciate their humble hearts, their teachable spirits, and we would like to be like them, Lord. So we pray, teach us. Teach us your word. Teach us about Jesus. Teach us, Lord, humility. Teach us um, 
to listen to your voice and to trust you and to obey. Make us, O Lord, your faithful servants and your witnesses. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So, until next time, be faithful in servant, fervent in prayer, patient in hope, as you wait for the soon return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be all glory, honor, and praise, both now and evermore. Amen. God bless you, my friend.